Hi, I am Jada Siri Ramos. I am the producer of A Public Affair here on WORT. And I have a request. Madison Magazine is running their annual Best of Madison competition. And I need you to go nominate A Public Affair as the best podcast Madison has to offer. All you have to do is go to tinyurl.com slash vote W-O-R-T. Nominations are open all throughout this month, and you can nominate us every single day. Now, the actual voting doesn't take place till June, but if we're not nominated, we can't be voted on. So go nominate us. Again, that's tinyurl.com slash vote W-O-R-T. Thanks so much, and I'm so excited for everyone to know that A Public Affair is the best podcast in Madison. No change without struggle. No one in power ain't giving up nothing. No change without struggle. No one in power. WORT 89.9 FM, listener-sponsored community radio, Madison, Wisconsin. And hello, thank you. Welcome to A Public Affair. I am Esti Dinor. I want to start with uh, two quick things. First of all, shout out to my neighbor who I don't think listens to WORT. But uh, he took his uh, monster snowblower today and um, made it possible for me to leave my home. I had mountains of snow at the bottom of my driveway. Thank you, uh, Madison City. And uh, he released me. So just just grateful for kindness and um, for people who help. And also want to uh, voice my um, distress, I'm sure yours too, over what's going on in Syria and Turkey. Um, I hope to talk about Syria next week. We'll see how it goes. But yeah, things are uh, very difficult. And again, thanks to the kindness of people who um, are going there, who are helping, people who are there, who are doing what they can with the little bit that they can. So, um, with that, as you know, the United States shot down a Chinese balloon last Saturday off the coast of South Carolina, saying it was a surveillance device. The Chinese maintain it was a weather-related airship. Secretary of State Antony Blinken canceled his trip to China. The Chinese reportedly refused to take a call from the United States, all bringing a further worsening of relations between the countries. Now, the discussion in the United States uh, seems to be revolving around Biden versus Trump, U.S. intelligence, previous balloons, but not about what the U.S. is doing in and toward China and other countries all over the world. So that's what we are going to talk about today. My guest is David Vine. He's a professor at the Department of Anthropology at American University, where people are blowing leaves today. 
isn't that nice? He works with the Overseas Base Realignment and Closure Coalition. His books are Base Nation, How U.S. Military Bases Abroad Harm America and the World, and most recently, The United States of War, A Global History of America's Endless Conflicts from Columbus to the Islamic State. So, first of all, um, David, just to clarify, do you know what kind of balloon it was? Esty, <laughs> it's a first of all, it's a pleasure to be with you and uh, have you. a chance to talk to you. Uh, I know no more than than you do or or regular readers of the news. The State Department, you know, appears to be presenting uh, more definitive evidence that this was a, a military a balloon, a military surveillance balloon, spy balloon. I, I think that misses the bigger picture that this is really a small matter. The Chinese government, like the U.S. government and other governments around the world, spy on one another on a regular basis using satellites and other uh, equipment and uh, a, a, a balloon floating over the continental United States uh, posed, of course, no military threat, no matter what kind of balloon it was, and uh, was completely blown out of proportion by the U.S. news media and others, uh, while I think, as, as you're rightfully asking us to do, we should be talking about the larger picture of U.S. relationship with, with China and what kind of relationship we want with China as people here in the United States, whether, for example, do we want a war, as increasingly there are people in the U.S. military and others in the so-called national security bureaucracy who are increasingly predicting there will be a war, but between the United States and China and treating it as if it's inevitable, which should be truly frightening to all of us and should be something we should be avoiding at all costs because, of course, a nuclear a, a war between the United States and China could become a nuclear war, a war that could end human existence on Earth. Yeah, and I, I, I just I can't imagine even um, without nuclear um, um missiles, etc., um, a war between the United States and China. Uh, why do you think, let's start with that, why, why do you think the media are so busy, A, not talking about the real issues, and B, at least some of the media really trumpeting up the idea of a war? What, what is that about? I think it's about a few things. I think... Sadly, there's there's a downright racist element of a kind of xenophobia, kind of anti-Chinese racism that, of course, we've seen anti-Asian racism growing in the United States. And, and a part of that has been fueled by the news media building up and hyping the, the fear of China, which has been encouraged and plays into the hands of the military industrial complex, frankly, uh, because who benefits when the fear of China is hyped, which is hyped for years now, uh, weapons con contractors, Pentagon uh, weapons contractors benefit mightily uh, as Pentagon budgets increase, which they have uh, spectacularly in, in recent years, despite the end of the U.S. war in Afghanistan. The, the U.S. Pentagon budget has expanded dramatically in the, the past two years, uh, which makes no sense. We have a Pentagon budget that is totally out of proportion to the threats facing the United States. Meanwhile, of course, how many needs at home are, are, are not being met? The, the Pentagon budget, let's just be clear, and that includes the spending on nuclear weapons and other, other military spending, is upwards of $1 trillion a year. 
Um, it's about half of all uh, discretionary spending that Congress appropriates every year, $1 trillion alone. And it, it is above that, including the amount that the United States spends on the debt from past uh, military expenditures, $1 trillion. Uh, just imagine what we could be doing with that to solve homelessness, hunger in this country and globally for that matter, to address pandemics, to really take on global warming. Uh, these are the kinds of needs and forms of security that we've been neglecting dramatically uh, as the Pentagon budget has expanded, fueled increasingly by this Chinese, anti-Chinese fear-mongering. And of course, at the same time, um, two neo-Nazis were arrested having planned to um, attack um, energy um, plants in, uh, where was it, Pittsburgh, I think? Um, I think they were planning on taking down Baltimore. Baltimore, Baltimore. Um, and I, I don't hear the media hyping the danger of um, domestic terrorism, which, as we've seen, January 6th and since, and actually it's before, um, is, is an issue. Um, it's interesting that about these two, we just heard the report that this has happened while the balloon has been hyped so much. Again, what, what is it about the, the majority of the American media? Well, there, there's a lot to critique about the majority of the American media, beginning with uh, pointing us to and 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 leading us to to focus on 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 threats that are that are either uh, non-existent or 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 much smaller than than the media would have us believe. I mean, I, I do think there's one thing that's helpful from my perspective about the whole balloon incident. I mean, we can see the 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 real fear that I think it and outrage that it inspired among people in the United States and because uh, it was seen as a, a, an infringement on U.S. sovereignty. And I, I think it can help us for a moment imagine how we might feel if we were living in China. China, of course, is surrounded by U.S. military bases, more than 300 U.S. military bases by the Pentagon's last count, and the Pentagon's count of bases is notoriously incomplete and inaccurate, so the total is probably somewhere upwards of, of 313, their official count. Uh, imagine how we might feel if China had even a single base near the borders of the United States or announced that it was going to build a base in the Caribbean or in Mexico uh, and just compare that to, to what happened in the last week with the, the appearance of this, again, non-threatening military, even if it is a military balloon, um, no military threat, there would be cause for an immediate military response. I think it's clear. And, and we, we don't even have to hypothesize because, of course, this happened during the Cold War. The most dangerous moment during the Cold War was when the Soviet Union, Moscow, built a missile base in Cuba, 90-some miles from, from Florida, from U.S. borders. And this led to a near nuclear war that could have then even ended human existence on Earth. Uh, this is what China is facing on a daily basis and is currently facing a, a buildup of U.S. military bases and forces around its borders. And I, I think this policy that the Biden administration has only accelerated building on, on past administrations dating to Obama, Trump, Obama, and, and George W. Bush is 
only making relations between China and the United States more dangerous and encouraging China to respond militarily to our military buildup. Again, how, how would U.S. leaders and how would the U.S. public respond if China were to build even a single base near U.S. borders? Meanwhile, the United States has surrounded China with hundreds of bases and, and times upwards of 100,000 troops on a regular basis for decades and in recent years has been building up bases and troops in most recently announced the Philippines, uh, but also in Australia, in Okinawa, Japan, uh, Guam, and other parts of the region. And this is what we should be really deathly concerned about, because this is precisely the wrong approach. This is a profoundly dangerous approach to relations with China at a moment when we should be doing everything in our power to lower military tensions and tensions between the two countries. We should be doing everything in our power to build a cooperative relationship to take on the real threats facing the entire world and to ensuring that war never breaks out between the United States and China. Yeah. So um, to that point, on February 1st, the governments of the United States and the Philippines announced the U.S. military will have access to four new military bases in the Philippines as part of what they called Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement, which was signed in uh, 2014. Talk about these bases, how they relate to what we're talking about, and um, what will they be used for? This is a far bigger deal than the balloon. I think it's, it's clear. Uh, indeed, the, the United States and the government of the Philippines announced last week that U.S. forces would be deployed to four more bases, in addition to five Philippines bases, where there are effectively U.S. bases co-located, at these Filipino bases, uh, making a total of nine bases in the Philippines where U.S. troops will will be located. They also announced that the U.S. would be building up uh, the infrastructure at the existing bases to the tune of $82 million, $82 million, which is a lot of money, um, although it's important to note that on a global basis, the United States spends $80 billion a year, that's billion with a B, $80 billion a year just maintaining bases and troops outside the United States um, at around 750 U.S. bases outside the 50 states in Washington, D.C. But in, in the Philippines, there's, of course, a particular history here where the people of the Philippines and the Filipino Senate kicked out the U.S. military in 1991, 1992, after years of, of occupation by the U.S. military dating to the U.S. colonization of the Philippines. The Philippines, of course, was a U.S. colony until 1946, just after World War II. Uh, but the United States maintained a huge military presence in the Philippines until 1992 as a part of a neo-colonial relationship. And, and in some ways, the uh, expansion of the US military presence that we're seeing in today and in, in recent years is a, a reassertion of that dominance. And, and many uh, people in the Philippines are, are not, not so happy about that, especially given the the track record of U.S. bases in the Philippines dating to this much larger past presence that uh, included uh, really horrific kinds of red light districts with exploitative prostitution, um, literally thousands of children abandoned by U.S. military personnel who um, fathered uh, children um, with Philippine, Filipina women, um, among other forms of environmental harm, social harm, 
So there are a lot of people in the Philippines who are concerned about this growing, uh, growing U.S. presence. But we should also be concerned because of what it means for China. Again, this is the, the announcement was clearly directed at China, and some believe that the launching of the balloon was was done as a reaction and response to the pending announcement of the the deal for four new bases in the Philippines. Um, because uh, the, the new bases are clearly aimed at China and, and increase the threat to China, uh, increasingly encircle China with bases closer and closer to its borders, and again, are helping to only ramp up military tensions between the United States and China, uh, again, encouraging China to respond militarily and making a, a conflict, a clash, even an accidental one, uh, all the more likely, uh, and with the potential for an outright war, which again uh, is something that we should be unthinkable—a war between the two most powerful nations on earth, economically and militarily. Um, although it's important to point out that China does not pose a direct military threat to the United States. Again, the, the China threat has been hyped in a whole variety of ways by the media, by people in the foreign policy establishment by elites, by politicians. Uh, politicians are making a heyday, especially on the right, but not only, uh, hyping the China threat. China does not pose a direct military threat to the United States other than in its nuclear arsenal, which is much smaller than that of the United States, much smaller, in number, numbering in the hundreds, whereas the United States has thousands of nuclear weapons. The Chinese military threat is nothing close to that of the Soviet Union during the Cold War. And some, probably many people in the United States would today believe that China is, is perhaps the most powerful military nation on earth. Um, and, and so the, the, the threat has been blown totally out of proportion. And the United States is responding in precisely the wrong way. That again is making our world a more dangerous place and making the possibility of a catastrophic, literally species ending nuclear war more likely rather than less. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, just a side note that it's interesting that um, this agreement with the Philippines comes during the time that um, the Marcos and Duter- Duterte um, offspring are running the government. Of course, the uh, um, the bases where um, the the American bases were there under Marcos and uh, not under Duterte, but both of them um, have been dictatorial um, figures, and it again tells us something about who the United States works with, doesn't it? That's precisely right, and again, it should be another profoundly concerning element of this deal in the Mark. Marcos Jr. regime has only been in place a matter of weeks or months. But uh, so we don't entirely know what it will look like. Uh, But the Duterte regime was a a really, he behaved like a dictator and and killed thousands of people as part of his war on drugs. Um, The Philippines military was implicated in human rights abuses. Uh, and meanwhile, this is the, the military that, that and government the United States has been supporting, even if there were tensions uh, under Duterte that seem now to be ironed out by Marcos Jr. The United States, it's important to point out for people who don't know, when there was the much larger U.S. military presence up till 1992, what had for decades supported Ferdinand Mar- Marcos Sr., 
who was an out and out dictator uh, with horrific blood on his hands, uh, thanks to support from, from successive US administrations. Uh, but this is not an isolated incident. People probably remember not so long ago, there was that little matter of the World Cup in Qatar. There's a lot of attention about the human rights abuses committed by the Qatari regime uh, when it came to labor violations, thousands of, of foreign workers who died during the construction of infrastructure for the, the World Cup. And meanwhile, and as well as uh, the violation and total elimination of rights for LGBTQ folks. Meanwhile, there was almost no attention or anyone questioning why the United States has military bases in Qatar. Um, you know, how do those bases run? Who built those bases? Um, they were built under very similar condition and are run on a daily basis to this day in a similar way. The Washington Post uh, reported recently that people working on U.S. bases in Qatar are making somewhere between $1.50 and $3 an hour. Uh, some employees on these bases cannot leave, as happens elsewhere in Qatar without the permission of their employer. They, they're, they're confined there in a kind of involuntary servitude. And this is just yet another example of actually 38 countries in total where the United States maintains military bases, where the local governments, host nation governments, are undemocratic or less than democratic, often dictatorial, often murderous regimes. And de facto, the United States and its military presence are supporting and backing these regimes. And this it should be profoundly concerning to us, to say the least. And, and when we look to bases that could be closed and should be closed immediately uh, abroad, we should immediately look to countries that are where the United States is supporting undemocratic regimes. The claim for years has been that having U.S. bases around the world spreads democracy, and the opposite is the case. Um, this couldn't be further from the truth. And we should, um, among other bases that should be closed rapidly, uh, the United States should cl close, in my view, all its bases in countries that are undemocratic, where we are supporting undemocratic regimes and, and often uh, horrifically human rights abusing regimes. Yeah. Well, my guest is David Vine. He's uh, a professor at the Department of Anthropology at American University. He works with the Overseas Base Realignment and Closure Coalition. His latest book is The United States of War, A Global History of America's Endless Conflict from Columbus to the Islamic State. You are welcome to join the conversation 608. 256-2001, extension 9, or on social media, at Word Talk, on Twitter, or a public affair on Facebook. And we do have a caller who's been um, waiting patiently. Dennis, you're on the air. Dennis? Okay. I don't know if Dennis has left us. Um, you're welcome to call back. Um, so uh, going back to um, China, um, I have two quotes here from an article by John Pilger, British um, reporter, who has been a guest on this show. Um, the Japanese island of Okinawa is a float floating launch pad 400 miles from the Chinese industrial heartland. He also says, how long will the rest of the world tolerate this constant provocation to war or, as an official in Washington put it, this noose? Now, um, 
we talk a lot on this show about um, the horrors that uh, Trump brought with him. But I um, will give it to him. I, he didn't seem to want to go to war with anyone. Uh, Biden, however, like Obama before him, uh, seems to be really interested in um, starting a war with um, China. Can you, can you comment on both of these points? Well, I'd be a little more careful in a, in a couple of ways. I, I think Trump, you know, likes to trumpet the fact that he was the first president in decades who didn't start a new war. That's not precisely true. Uh, U.S. troops fought and he expanded the presence in Afghanistan and Iraq. He assassinated a, a Iranian general, uh, increased drone strikes in places like Somalia and elsewhere, supported the Saudi and UAE-led war in Yemen, among many other places, deploying forces to other parts of Africa. Um, and similarly, Biden, I'm profoundly concerned about this buildup of U.S. military forces in, in East Asia and, the, as I said, the encirclement of China and the overseas base realignment and closure coalition that you mentioned uh, is this transpartisan group of, of analysts, uh, activists, academics, and others who share my concerns about the presence of U.S. military bases around the world. Uh, it's people across the political spectrum, not just folks on the left like me. Uh, and if folks want to learn more, they can go to overseasbases.net, where we have a, 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 a recent paper about uh, the new deal in the Philippines to add four new bases. Um, but uh, Biden's track record, yeah, has been deeply concerning because he is ramping up military tensions and the U.S. military presence in East Asia. We could also talk about, about Biden's approach to Putin's war in Ukraine. But um, at, at times, I will give Biden some credit. I, I don't think he wants war, but he is indeed, by his actions, he said in the State of the Union speech, I don't want conflict, but his actions are suggesting the, the opposite. Um, they are indeed uh, making war more likely rather than less. Um, but at the same time, the, the response to the balloon uh, incident, I think, was, was relatively muted. I think, you know, it was at least appears to be just a diplomatic response by canceling or postponing, which I think that, too, was wise to postpone uh, Secretary of State Blinken's trip to China. Um, hopefully that has already been rescheduled or will soon be, um, because talks and diplomacy are precisely what we need to be building up, not military bases and military forces. Similarly, we can point to one small example, and I, I point to this uh, because I want to encourage the Biden administration to move in this direction. Uh, recently, they announced the establishment of a, a, a U.S. embassy in the Solomon Islands. Uh, there's some concern about a, a military deal between the Solomon Islands and China, and the response there, uh, at least to now, appears to be a diplomatic one which is exactly what we need to be doing. We should be building up our diplomatic forces and presence uh, that of literal diplomats, as well as embassies and missions and consulates. It's important to note that currently the United States has about 276 consulates, missions, and embassies around the world, 276, and compare that to the 750 U.S. military bases in around 80 countries and colonies, territories around the world. 
And you see the way in which our foreign policy is totally deformed and totally weighted in the direction of, of the military and military policy. Not, not, not military policy, military force, the use of threat, the use of, and, and, and I think we need to remember the last 21 plus years where the United States has been fighting this war on terror announced by uh, President Bush and then perpetuated by Obama, Trump, and, and, and now Biden to this day, despite the withdrawal from Afghanistan, um, and the disaster, absolute catastrophe that the, the war on terror has been with the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and in many, many other countries that have received much less attention. Uh, this is the foreign policy we need to turn away from and turn our backs on completely. Um, and we need to in, rather build up our military, excuse me, rather build up our diplomatic presence, our use of diplomacy, of negotiation, of peace building, of using economic and political and cultural and educational forms of relating with other parts of the world, with other countries, including China, uh, rather than this absolute reliance on military force. Yeah. And thanks for, um, yeah, um, reminding me <laughs> of some of the things that uh, Trump has done, too. Um, Dennis, I guess, is back with us. Dennis, you're on the air. Yeah, great. Thank you. Uh, you know, something that kind of got sloughed over historically about 20 years ago, I think ought to be made part of this conversation. Uh, Dan Rather had the first live interview with Premier of China, and uh, the discussion got a little bent out of shape, and he ended up waving his finger in the face of the Premier of China, uh, telling him he was just a working-class journalist in the freest nation on earth. And I don't know if you know anything about what it's like to have had some martial arts. You don't generally go around waving your finger in the face of any or Oriental, let, let alone the premier of China. And 10 days later, they brought down our spy plane that was military and was manned by six personnel. And they gave us our people back and they gave us our plane back in pieces. But, you know, and pot wants to call the kettle black here over a balloon. Yeah. Okay, Dennis. Um, David. Yeah, I think that just points to the way in which the United States has been spying on China. The United States has used, you know, balloons to spy on the Soviet Union during the Cold War. We don't even know the extent to which the United States uses spy balloons to this day, whether it comes to China or Russia or other other parts of the world. But, but it's safe to, to conclude, and, and, and we know that the United States, China, other countries spy on one another on a regular basis, again, using satellites, using a variety of means, and a balloon flying over uh, the United States is, is small pickings and, and really insignificant in the larger picture of things. You know, some people have suggested that this really looks worst for China, that they um, that they uh, had a balloon that was visible to people on the ground and, and and what an embarrassment this was. You know, it's unclear whether China did this on purpose, whether they, whether, whether you know, even if it was a military surveillance uh, balloon, whether it blew off course um, uh, and, and whether they were doing it as a response to uh, the announcement of bases in the Philippines or, or any other recent U.S. actions. Uh, but I think, again, it's, it's a distraction from the much more important question of what kind of relationship do we want to have with China? And 
I think a question we have to ask ourselves, not just do we want a cold war with China, which is growing in intensity by the day, almost literally, but do we want a literal, hot, physical war with China? And can we even begin to contemplate the millions of people who could die in such a war? Tens of millions of people. Um, and indeed, if it became a nuclear war, and there is no reason to believe that a military conflict of any kind between the United States and China wouldn't spiral out of control into a nuclear war, that could literally end human existence on Earth. Uh, Princeton University, some academics have, have calculated that upwards of five million, excuse me, five billion people could die in a, a, a nuclear war between the major powers. Five billion people, and again, putting entirely all of human existence in danger. Yeah. Well, you have said a couple of times that China does not pose direct military threat to the United States. And I want to ask you several questions about that. Um, but let's start with, um, so what threat does it pose to the United States? Why is the United States surrounding it with bases? Why is it... Um, um, spying on it, why are they bringing us to, God forbid, you know, the brink of a war and let alone nuclear war? What What is it about China that is thro- so threatening to the American um, rulers? It's a very good question. It, it, and... I, I am not a, a China expert, but but I think uh, here's how I would characterize it. I mean, I, I think in, in short, why are they doing what they are doing? They're doing it because they are wedded to and deeply uh, committed to a fundamentally Cold War era strategy and kind of dogma about the approach to foreign policy, uh, where the United States must maintain hundreds of military bases and, and hundreds of thousands of troops around the world encircling and, and containing, in the language of the Cold War, um, any power that might challenge the United States and China's economic power in particular, and with it political power and military power, have grown, of course, substantially in, in recent years, uh, coming to, at least in economic terms, challenge the overall power of, of the United States. And, and U.S. elites uh, find this very off-putting, to say the least. Um, but they are wedded to this belief that if, if only you uh, encircle any possible competitor with, with bases and, and troops, this will somehow maintain your power. Uh, there is very little, if any, evidence to support this idea of, of deterrence or containment um, that, that these elites are, 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 are practicing. Meanwhile, who's benefiting from this strategy? Uh, again, military contractors, Pentagon contractors, weapons, weapons manufacturers, the companies that get contracts to build and maintain U.S. spaces are making literally billions of dollars a year uh, by the hyping of the China threat and by the pursuit of this military-focused, military-dominated strategy and, and response. Uh, China does pose a threat in certain ways. Again, China is another nuclear armed power. It has in the hundreds of nuclear weapons, again, compared to the thousands of nuclear weapons that the United States possesses. Uh, the total power of the Chinese military, again, is nothing like that 
of, that the Soviet Union possessed during the Cold War and does not compare to that of the United States. Let's just take again the issue of bases. Again, the United States has around 750 U.S. military bases outside the 50 states in Washington, D.C. How many bases does China have outside its territory? A grand total of eight, eight foreign military bases. Um, uh, one in Djibouti, some on human-made islands that China has claimed illegally, it's important to point out. And you could add some bases in Tibet um, if you wanted to add on, on there. Um, China does not have the global military power that the United States has. It does not have a, a fundamentally imperialist military power that the United States possesses and has exercised and has exercised with catastrophic results, especially in the last 21 plus years of, of war since the, the launching of the U.S. war in, in Afghanistan. We could point to a much longer history of, of U.S. wars dating to independence for that matter. The U.S. has expanded uh, its power and, and control of territory with catastrophic effects almost entirely. Um, China, of course, does pose some other threats when it comes to economic surveillance, business surveillance, the surveillance of technology. Um, but we need to be careful in our assessment of, of any threat, especially when it uh, the kind of hyping of the China threat not only encourages the dramatic expansion of the Pentagon budget to heights far beyond that at the, the height of the Cold War, uh, but also makes us ignore much more pressing threats like global warming, like global pandemics, uh, like the homelessness that we see on streets around the United States, uh, hunger, the poor state of our schools, the crumbling infrastructure, transportation infrastructure, train infrastructure, uh, the fact that there are so many millions of people who still don't have health care in our country. Uh, these, uh, you're, you're, of course, in a university town, the people who are going into millions of dollars of, of debt, um, billions of dollars nationally, I think it may, maybe even more than that, um, uh, when we could be providing free college to people around this country if we weren't investing more than a trillion dollars a year in this huge Pentagon establishment and a military industrial complex that is making a killing off war. Yeah. Well, we have another caller for you, um, David. Um, Steve, you're on the air. Yes, good afternoon, Esty, and uh, addressing Professor Vine. Is it at all possible or realistic, more to the point, that a challenger to Biden within the Democratic Party or a third-party candidate could, with proper public relations, persuade a plurality of voters in the general election that a non-provocative, smaller defense posture makes for a safer America? Thank you. <laughs> great question. What do you think, David? It's a great question. It absolutely is realistic, and uh, it, it, it will be a challenge given the, the media that we've been discussing, given the state of U.S. politics, given the way that Republicans in particular are increasingly capitalizing on this and fueling China fear-mongering, again, which builds on uh, kind of anti-Asian, anti-Chinese racism. Uh, so it will be challenging, but I, but I am encouraged by growing leadership within the Democratic Party uh, by some of the newer members of, of Congress, as well as people like Senator Sanders, who have been starting to chart uh, a more independent, progressive foreign policy, 
uh, and one that would be a non-provocative uh, approach to, to China that would, instead of depending on uh, the deployment of bases and forces and military force, military presence, uh, would engage China diplomatically through negotiations. I mean, we should be thinking about the a whole variety of ways in which we can be improving the relationship with China, beginning with uh, a summit and a series of summits between the leaders of the two countries, um, attempt to resolve the territorial disputes, disputes in the South China Sea and other parts of East Asia, uh, cooperation around global warming, global heating, climate change, uh, as well as global pandemics, among other pressing threats facing all of humanity. Um, these are the kinds of, of engagement that we need to be insisting upon uh, that our leaders pursue rather than this, as you, the caller rightly said, a, a profoundly provocative uh, approach to the relationship with China that is not just provocative, but profoundly dangerous and, again, could bring us into a what should be an unthinkable war between the two countries. Mm -hmm. So so we've established that um, China doesn't really have the... Um, military power to attack the United States, but is China contemplating something like that? I mean, what, what, what is, um, what is that fear about? I, I, I mean, nobody has uh, tried to attack the United States on United States soil. Um, Since the, Japan. Since yeah, but that was that was um, I. So I don't know that much about Pearl Harbor, but from the little bit that I know, it seems like another nine eleven kind of thing, right? It was one hit that um, achieved quite a bit, but um, I don't think there was an attempt to actually. Um, invade the United States, and again, correct me if I'm wrong here. But um, I, I, you know, no one, no one has tried to invade. Definitely not mainland United States. Um, why? So, so is China is China contemplating some something like that? And if not, uh, why that fear and fear mongering? You know, if you if you listen to many Republican leaders in particular, you might get the idea that China was contemplating an invasion of the United States. And, and you're right to ask the question, uh, because there is no evidence that Chinese leaders are contemplating an invasion or attack on the United States and doing so would be suicidal, um, especially given the U.S. nuclear capacity, uh, as well as its conventional military capacity. Uh, but again, the people are making money and political careers off this kind of fear-mongering. It's, it's important to remember that the United States, because of its geographic positioning on the globe, enjoys tremendous security and safety just because of the, the huge bodies of ocean water that separate it from, from Asia and, and Europe on, in the Atlantic. Um, this means that uh, it's just another way in which the United States spends far more on, on its military on an annual basis than it needs to. Again, uh, a Pentagon budget that is totally out of proportion to the threats facing the United States. 
And why is this? I mean, there are a whole variety of reasons, but, but again, the, the beneficiaries, if we follow the money, um, the military industrial complex, this entrenched set of interests revolving around the military contractors, Pentagon contractors, weapons manufacturers, uh, the people in, in Congress who, who they, whose campaigns they often fund, uh, and the military itself, they are benefiting from this astronomical spending that is systematically diverting money from human needs that are going neglected in the United States and globally every every year. Yeah, and um, the I knew that the United States was spending more on its military than the next four um, large countries, which are China, Russia, Britain, and I can't remember which one the fourth was, but I just read that the United States actually spends more on its on, on the military-industrial complex than at least the next 11 countries combined. And so, first of all, do you know anything about that? And... Um, you know, you have talked about it a bit, but let's talk about it a little more. What has it given the United States? Um, has it won any wars? Has it brought peace to the world? Has it solved any problems? Um, like, is there any sense in it other than what you keep saying? It's the military industrial complex making a lot of money. And therefore, owning Congress, in a sense. Very, very well put. There is very little sense, although there are a lot of dollars and cents that are going into the pockets of the military-industrial complex. The the figures are, are are always a little hard because of the secretive nature of military spending globally, and and because of the accounting, the poor state of accounting for the Pentagon itself, but the most often cited figure is that the United States currently is spending as much as the next nine nations combined. And that okay. includes uh, Russia and, and China. Um, and most of the rest of the countries are US allies. So if you add up US military spending with its allies, it vastly dwarfs that of, of China or, or Russia for that matter, which spends even less on its, on its military. And you know what have we seen from Putin's war in Ukraine? except that the, the profound weakness of the, the Russian military, which uh, was a threat that was likewise hyped in recent years to enable the construction of new U.S. military bases and deploy more U.S. military forces to uh, Central and, and Eastern Europe, um, increasingly encircling, encircling Russia, and we see where that got us. Uh, what has all this military spending gotten us? I mean, essentially, you know, World War II gave birth to the military-industrial complex, as President Eisenhower told us and warned us about in his uh, final address as he was leaving office in 1961. Uh, this military spending has uh, has brought death and destruction, in addition to the systematic diversion of trillion, literally trillions of dollars. What has the United States spent on war since 2001. Now it's somewhere around $19.20 trillion, $19.20 trillion on, on war. Uh, the, 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 that's the total war spending. If you just look at the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, Syria, Yemen, Somalia, the, the spending is somewhere around eight or $9 trillion, T, trillion with a T. And, you know, $1 trillion is, is so much, it's really incomprehensible. 
But again, we, we, we have to grapple with what this money means because it means trillions of dollars that have not been invested in creating a green infrastructure, in uh, providing free college education, in providing high quality secondary education and elementary education, in providing universal health care, in preparing us for pandemics. Uh, the, the part of the reason that the United States was so ill prepared, not just because of President Trump, um, but part of the reason the United States was so ill-prepared for the COVID pandemic was because we have systematically neglected funding a public health infrastructure and a pandemic response infrastructure. And that's why there wasn't enough PPE, for example, enough ventilators. Um, because while other countries in, in Europe and other <clears throat> wealthy industrialized countries have, have built up social welfare states since World War II, the United States has built up a warfare state, and there's no other way to put it. Yeah. And in addition to systematically neglecting the human needs of people in the United States and around the world, because there is enough money to be assisting people worldwide, uh, we have to look at the effects of the wars the United States has waged. And you know, since 2001 alone, if we look at the, the five most violent wars the United States been, has been engaged in, in Iraq and Afghanistan, Pakistan, uh, Yemen, Somalia. Um, we can also uh, throw in Libya and um, other wars. Uh, these wars have killed millions of people, injured tens of millions of people, displaced uh, by the estimate that, that some American university students and I produced for the Cost of War Project, displaced around 39 million people. That's more people displaced than in any war um, other than World War II. Uh, since the beginning of the 20th century, the human effects of U.S. wars have been absolutely catastrophic, uh, while we have also systematically diverted these trillions upon trillions upon trillions of dollars that also have been taking lives because you know, every person who dies because they didn't have health care in our country is a death that did not have to happen. We could have been providing health care for everyone in this country. We could have been providing free college education for everyone in this country. And we can still, to this day, uh, demand... And that, that perhaps makes too much, um, too much sense for uh, the people who rule the United States. I, I just wanted to say... Um, You mentioned how the war in Ukraine has shown us the weakness of uh, the Russian military that has been hyped, but I think also the war in Afghanistan uh, showed the weakness of the American military. So, you know, I mean, not only do we spend so much money and have so many bases, the American um, military can't fight against people who have... so little money and um, um, in a sense the, the, what they're armed with is so um, below what the Americans come up with and, they, and yet they, you know, the American military wasn't able to um, win that war and had to actually leave very quickly and, and leave a lot of people there who um, were then 
um, maybe still are um, victimized because of that. We have um, about two minutes. I wanted, I don't know if you can do it in a couple of minutes, but I wanted also to talk about the fact that the greatest buildup of NATO military forces since the Second World War is underway on the Western borders of uh, Russia. Um, if you can talk about that briefly, um, again, well, I, you know, I, going I, against Russia. Yeah, I, I think I think there too, in in brief, that that the priorities of the Biden and his administration are 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 generally off base, uh, especially in the extent to which they are, it seems. Uh, perpetuating the war and extending the war uh, rather than focusing on negotiations that could bring an end to the war as quickly as possible and bring a, a, an end to the suffering as quickly as possible. Uh, support for the Ukrainian people and the Ukrainian military is absolutely uh, needed in response to Putin's imperialist invasion following on imperialist invasion that, that U.S. leaders, namely George W. Bush, um, uh, perpetrated in recent years. Uh, but the Biden administration appears not to have been nearly as committed to negotiations and, and bringing peace to the United to, to Ukraine as, uh, as it should be. And that, that's what we need to find a way to put an end to the fighting as quickly as possible and put an end to the suffering as quickly as possible. Yeah. In fact, um, an Israeli politician was um, talking about how he was helping create negotiation between the United States and uh, Russia. And it seems like the Biden administration uh, basically decided it didn't want to do it, which reminds me of something that Professor um, Richard Wolf said on this show some time ago that Biden will um, fight against the Russians to the last Ukrainian. Um, you have 20 seconds for your last words, David. <laughs> yeah, again, that, that I think underlines the, that, that the Biden administration has been pursuing these larger, supposedly geostrategic goals and who is suffering, the people of Ukraine. Similarly, we need to ask, do we want a, a, a war and uh, with, with China? What kind of relationship do we want? And we need a dramatic shift in the priorities of U.S. foreign policy to yeah. diplomacy and negotiations and away from military force and war. And we are out of time. David Vine, professor at the Department of Anthropology at American University, a writer, author of How U.S. Military Bases Abroad Harm America and the World, and most recently, The United States of War, A Global History of America's Endless Conflict from Columbus to the Islamic State. Thank you so much, David, for joining us today. Um, thank you, Summer and Jade and Patty. I'm Esti Dinor. We'll be talking again next week. Bye bye.